Welcome to the PaxX Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 20 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? Hi, Mary. I'm doing really well. I'm excited about uh, 2015 and our first episode of the year. I am too. Happy New Year. I'm very excited as well. And uh, before we get started, we'd like to thank our new sponsor, eGate Solutions, for sponsoring this week's podcast. We all want happy passengers. They buy more and they're likely to be more loyal to your airline. But delivering a positive passenger experience is hard when you're relying on legacy systems and manual processes. eGate Solutions provides the technology behind onboard services, connecting and automating every step of an airline's operations from the warehouse to the passenger. With eGate, you can spend less time and money on the process and more on optimizing the passenger experience, which really is what we are all in the business of delivering. Visit eGate Solutions online at www.egate-solutions.com or email them at info at egate-solutions to learn more. Well, thank you, eGate. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, a good friend of mine, John Norris. He's a former Airbus Cabin Design Office Vice President. He now serves as Vice President of Sales for In-Flight Entertainment Specialist Lumexis. John, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks, Mary. Uh, getting ready for a three-week round-the-world sales trip at the moment, and uh, <laughs> thanks so much for inviting me. <laughs> oh, my word. Oh, John, that sounds wonderful. A three-week, you know, I used to live for those kind of trips. Uh, everyone thought I was crazy, but uh, all that airtime, I used to love that. Yeah, the airtime is the great bit. It's all the sort of hanging around in hotels and shuttling backwards and forwards, but it's going to be fun. Seeing a lot of interesting places and people, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, good. Fantastic. Well, with that, let's take a look at some of the top PaxX news stories that are making headlines. The Boeing 787 is celebrated for its passenger-pleasing attributes, including its lower effective cabin altitude, the larger tinting windows, and LED lighting. But various reports have emerged that call into question the comfort factor in economy class on the Boeing 787. Mary, you've been tracking this topic. What's the gripe and... Why now? Well, Max, I think uh, the gripe is that these airlines, uh, virtually all airlines, bar one, have opted for a high-density configuration in economy class on the Boeing 787. You know, when uh, Boeing was first uh, flogging this aircraft to the market, it talked about a very comfortable economy class experience with eight abreast. Instead, as I said, most of the airlines have gone with this much tighter nine abreast uh, configuration configuration. And passengers are actually starting to take notice. Um, so very recently on Airline Reporter, they ran a really interesting story about uh, someone who does not identify as an aviation geek or an aviation enthusiast, um, but that experienced the 787 and had a fairly miserable uh, experience in the seat. Um, and we recently ran a piece by John Walton where he said he's come to a point where unless it, you know he's talking to a fellow aviation enthusiast, if he's just talking to average travelers, he's not recommending the 787 um, because of the discomfort factor. So it's interesting. We're at that point now. And again, it's, it's not Boeing's fault. I mean, the airlines are the ones that are, have picked this configuration, but uh, it is really tight now in the back of the bus on those 787s and word is getting out. John, you're, have you had a chance to fly the 78 yet? Um, unfortunately, I've not had a chance yeah. to fly the 78, but I, I've certainly not been avoiding it. And mm -hmm. um, 
It's interesting. I mean, I, I spent most of my career working for airframers, and uh, last airframe I worked for was Airbus. And this isn't an issue that just faces the 787 alone. Yeah. Um, in any new aircraft design, trying to decide on cabin width, so the cross-section of the fuselage, is always a bit of a challenge, and it is a compromise. Um, if you roll back the clock on the A350, the original fuselage for the A350 had the same cross-section as the A330 and A340. But after reviewing that with the industry, the market came back and said, we want wider seats. Mm. So the aircraft was rebadged as the A350XWB, extra <laughs> width body. And that gave much better seat comfort in 333 config. The problem you've got is that then opens the door to say, well, hang around. If you can fit 333 in, I, you can fit 343 in, i.e. 10 abreast. And so what this really boils down to is a compromise between, you know, physics and economics, because you you either make the cabin narrow, so narrow that you can only fit 323 in, or you make it wide enough to have a wider 323 config. But then, yeah, people will go, OK, well, I want one more seat and we'll go one more abreast. I mean, it's very, very difficult. And really, it puts the airframe in a, in a very tricky situation because where do you, you know, where do you draw the line? And I've seen the comparisons with, you know, with the 777 and, you know, A350, 787. And, um, yeah, it really comes down to the economics and, and how the airline wants to use that airframe. So far, Airbus has, um, although although you can order the A350 in 10 abreast, it's um, my understanding that with the exception of perhaps one carrier, uh, everyone has gone for the 9 abreast. But the 10 abreast is on offer. And John, you know, in light of the huge success of the 777-300ER, um, you even see recently United uh, swapping uh, some 7-8 orders over to 777-300ER. And the fact that that's largely being configured now, 10 abreast in economy. Do you think that we're going to start seeing airlines that have ordered the A350 go 10 abreast as well? I think very possibly because um, if you can get an equivalent comfort in 10 abreast on an A350 as compared to a 777, you know, why wouldn't airlines go that way if the, you know, if the you know, if that's an option that's available to them. I mean, it is really this balance of, you know, I say it again, physics and economics. You only have a certain amount of real estate in a cabin and you have to work out where you draw the balance between passenger comfort and um, revenue. John, do you think there's a chance that the passengers could revolt and could uh, hope to push that balance more in their favor or are passengers just stuck with the decision that the airline makes? I think it depends it depends on the whole package from a passenger point of view, I'd say, Max. I mean, some passengers are motivated purely by ticket price, and ticket price and maybe schedule will dictate who they're going to fly. Um, but, you know, we know that the passengers are much more aware now of what the choices are in the market. And if people choose to fly a particular airline um, because of, um, you know, an onboard facility, be it an IFE system or connectivity or whatever it might be, they may well say, okay, well, I'm not flying on that route because it's that aircraft. I mean, we've seen Airbus has that with the A380. People actively choose to fly the schedule um, that has an A380 on it rather than a 747. So, I mean, I fly with British Airways and Qantas a, a lot. They both on their major routes have 74s and 380s. I will always pick the schedule which has an A380 because mm -hmm. it is a more comfortable experience. It's a newer airframe and the chances are you have a better, better experience on the aircraft. 
Hmm. Are you flying in economy a lot yourself, John? What's your situation like? Well, being um, being of a relatively small stature, um, he says lying, I, um, <laughs> I tend to um, fly premium economy now. Okay. I think my days of flying economy are, are no good, and I'm, I'm fortunate that our corporate travel policy allows us to do that in long good. haul. Good. Premium economy makes a massive difference because you have typically one less seat abreast and maybe another four to six inches of, of legroom. And so it's a huge difference in terms of um, comfort from, from economy. And, of course, you're talking about true premium economy. There's, uh, of course, the U.S. carriers have been a little bit naughty. They have these kind of economy plus economy comfort. They're not a true premium economy offering. Um, it's just a bit of extra legroom. You're talking about where you actually have that extra width, that extra legroom, and it makes all the difference, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. a specific separate class, which isn't mm-hmm. just saying that the economy seats in the exit row are now premium economy. It's funny because some passengers are looking at that as like the new business class. And and I found this out firsthand because a lovely gentleman was talking to me uh, on boarding an aircraft recently out of uh, London Heathrow. And uh, he was suggesting that perhaps we have a chat because there was a lot of open seats in economy. He suggested we have a chat um, once the uh, aircraft was airborne. And then I stopped at my premium economy seat. It was on British Airways. And um, he said, oh, I didn't realize you were flying in business. But because he saw I was in the middle cabin, and technically that product was, you know, the second product down, he saw it as a business class product. And I thought that was really interesting, you know? Well, I think if you look at the classes offered now, you know, current business class really is what first class was five to 10 years ago. Everyone is, everything's just kind of been rebadged because, you know, the business class today is far superior on most airlines than the first class they were offering, you know, as I said, five to 10 years ago. And it just keeps evolving. So pinning something as labeling it as, you know, premium economy or business class, what does it really mean? I think what it really means is, you know, what's the seat pitch? What's the seat width? What amenities, functions do I get? You know, how's my flight experience going to be? Well, let's push on to our next story because this, I think, kind of ties right in. This comes from our friends over at Future Travel Experience. And they report that AirAsia X is exploring this bed-like product for economy class. Now, if it takes the leap, this airline will follow the likes of Air New Zealand, which launched the so-called Sky Couch, and China Airlines, which later licensed the Sky Couch from Air New Zealand. So, John, do you see a growing market for these types of products, uh, perhaps, particularly since standard economy class has become so cramped and it's hard for passengers to sleep? Yeah, um, not really. I I think we're um, back to physics and economics again. I mean, I I don't see this as a significant market growth area. I mean, in some respects, it feels a little alien that an airline would rather target lower load factors so that it has spare seats to sell to a passenger who wants an empty seat or seats next to them. It kind of, you know, just would seem to uh, defy, you know, the normal approach to selling tickets. And clearly, if you offer more real estate, so more physical volume of space on that aircraft to one passenger than another, then the ticket price has to go up to compensate. Otherwise, you have an unsustainable business model. So, I struggle to understand, and maybe I'm missing something, but I struggle to to understand how this would be a better offering than a genuine premium economy class. 
on those you know long haul flights for AirAsia X, but they like to explore other ways of doing things, and maybe they're successful. I mean, clearly, Air New Zealand got a lot of kudos in the market for SkyCouch. I believe it's only offered on uh, three or four rows within economy on Air New Zealand. Um, it's not like it's the whole economy cabin. So we'll have to see how it how it develops. Mary, this Air Asia X concept, I mean, this kind of keys off their empty seat option, doesn't it? It does. It does. So it you know it allows the uh, it allows the airline to kind of essentially if there is you know some seats that haven't been sold, then it can kind of do something a little bit creative. But I have to say um, that, you know, personally, because I do still flying coach, (laughs) our corporate travel policy is firmly in coach. The idea that there is even the potential for this option um, is exciting to me. And I totally uh, understand and respect uh, John's uh, point of view on this. And and there is still a very big question mark as to whether or not something like this is going to take off in a big way. Um, And indeed, as he mentioned, Air New Zealand, it is only still only on a few rows. But... um, you know, just the whole idea, Max, of being able to stretch out for me, I, I don't know, it's gotten to be so agonizing in economy um, and it's gotten to be so tight that I would be willing to pay extra for that seat beside me or those two seats beside me if, say, for example, they hadn't been sold and there was an opportunity to buy them if I was just about to board or even on, on board the aircraft, for example. Say, if, that's, um, if that seat is available on board the aircraft and I could say, for example, uh, order the seat on the aircraft, that extra space. I would do it in a heartbeat. Mm. I just wonder, it's a very complicated approach to trying to tell a, you know, to sell a seat or seats. How does the airline kind of gamble between, do I keep some spare next to the passenger or I right. believe I might be able to convince to upgrade and buy those empty seats versus I'm just going to sell all the seats. So it'll be, it's, it'll be an interesting, uh, uh, interesting experiment with AirAsia X. And, um, you know, let, let's see if they can turn convention on its head. Sure, and that's always exciting to watch someone try to do that. I have to give them props for that. But absolutely, isn't it a kind of a isn't it a situation where you won't know uh, until kind of the last minute whether you'll have those empty seats or not, uh, or are they going to reserve empty seats to, deliberately? Well, that's that's kind of the question I believe that we're, it needs to be answered. And but you know, especially even when you're you're boarding, there's a lot of mu- musical chairs if there are empty seats. You you guys notice that? You mm. know, you got families that are trying to swap around and sit beside their children if they've been separated. You've got husbands and wives that are separated during the you know when they uh, order their their tickets and they they don't have seats beside each other. So I guess that is the big question from a distribution standpoint. Um, how do you handle it? Because you know you you do. Try try to accommodate passengers and families on board, um, are you going to carve out those seats and just say no, you know, to a family that say, says, well, I see those two seats. Can we grab those for our family? I guess that would be my question. And have we seen anything about just exactly how th- this would work? I know that uh, the, the CEO of AirAsia X has talked about uh, not wanting to look at options that might increase the weight but uh, do we know anything about how they might take these three seats and turn it into a couch-like or bed-like environment? Well, SkyCouch, you know, was a very it's a very creative product. I mean, it allows you to essentially flip up um, this kind of lip 
that gives you uh, a bit more real estate to be able to stretch out and to be able to even, you know, they call it cuddle class, to be able to even like spoon your partner or your children to be able to stretch out so that more than one um, individual can, can stretch out. So I do wonder if they would follow the traditional sky couch type of uh, offering. And indeed, the patent that Air New Zealand has, how broad is that and what does it protect? Because they are, of course, the first and they're now licensing it to airlines. Would AirAsia X be looking to do something outside of that patent? patent, something completely original, and how would they manage to do that without treading on Air New Zealand's invention, essentially? So that's kind of a question. A point to take into into account as well is, I mean, you mentioned that AirAsia X, clearly they're focused on weight like any airline would be. If you add that kind of feature onto a seat, it's going to be heavier Mm -hmm. than the seat without that extra, um, you know, flip up cushion. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got the extra cushion, you have the mechanism, you know, it's still extra weight. It's, um, you know, with, with, with such um, amount of work and research has been put into taking weight out of uh, aircraft seats, you do kind of wonder whether, um, you know, it's going to be achievable or not. But again, you know, everything in, a, in an aircraft cabin is compromised. So, so we'll see. And as Max said, you know, good luck with Air X and let's, uh, you know, look interested to see uh, how it turns out. Yeah. All right, and uh, last but not least, we want to talk to John about some developments, some exciting developments, I think, at Lumexis. John, we understand that Lumexis fiber optics-based IFE will become line-fit offerable in the Boeing 737 catalog this year. This is the first new IFE solution offered by Boeing in many years, I believe. Is, Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, we're delighted to say that you know Lamexis is going to be uh, the first new IFE supplier for 15 years being offered by Boeing for line fit installations, uh, which is really quite some um, achievement for, for our company. We believe this reflects the innovation, dedication, and enthusiasm of our team, uh, a team that I'm really proud to be part of. And uh, I had the pleasure of being at Boeing on Monday this week and, and saw firsthand uh, the fiber optic network being installed on the second 737 for Lion Air that's receiving um, our FTTS provisions installed at the Renton line. So it's great to see. Now, this is Lumex's fiber to the screen, right? That's, what that's you're right. It? FTTS, fiber to the screen, yeah. So what does that mean exactly? Uh, what it means is that um, we, we have taken away all of the seat electronic boxes. Um, so, you know, those big annoying boxes that when you sit in economy, you look forward and you see what's that big box on the floor that's taken up all of my legroom. You know, why can't I get my bag under the seat? Because either there's a big box next to the leg or it's been strapped beneath the uh, beneath the seat pan. So we have no electronic boxes between our servers, which sit under the uh, floor in the eBay of the aircraft right up to the, the VDUs, the IFE displays. We, we just have uh, a pair of very thin uh, fiber optical cables, cables, excuse me, which join the server and the screen and a 28 volt power supply. And that's it, all the boxes are gone. So the fiber optic network really is the sort of the basis for, um, for our system. Gives us huge bandwidth opportunities and you know makes us future proof in terms of future growth and powering new generation screens, be they you know 3D, whatever it might be that, that's coming down the pipe at us, we can grow our system to accommodate that. Yeah, that is speaking of screens coming down the pike, when I was at um, international CES recently, John, we saw a lot of 4K. Yep. 
for are you guys looking at that? Is that something? Do first of all, do we need it to be that high res when we're sitting in those economy class seats? What were your thoughts in terms of how the evolution of monitors? Simply, the answer is no. You you don't need 4K okay. typically. I mean, if you just think about an economy class setup. You're not far away enough from the screen, and the screen isn't big enough for a 4K screen to really enhance your experience. I mean, let's just remember, you know, the the majority of systems installed on aircraft today are standard definition. We haven't even got to regular HD yet. I mean, our system, we run an all HD system, but on a typical viewing distance, HD 1080p is more than enough. And the other half of that equation is it's not just the screen. Are the studios going to provide 4K or 8K mm. movies when already, you know, most people are buying standard definition or right. HD, maybe 720p? There's not that much content which is available in 1080p HD at the moment. So I think we're, we're some time away from, you know, 4K, 8K being a necessity. Interesting. Well, you know, John, not a week goes by without a major media title predicting the uh, the end is nigh for embedded IFE. Um, and uh, it's always interesting, and the discussions crop up on social media as well in this uh, bring-your-own-device world, uh, wireless world. Um, why is there still a role for embedded? Um, I, I think I know the answer, but you tell me what you what you see. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased that you touched on one of my favorite subjects and um, pet peeves of this industry that, um, you know, yeah, there are a lot of commentators on the industry who, as you've said, have said, OK, embedded IFE is going to die. You know, it has no future. And um, the, the way I'd look at it is maybe slightly differently. I'd say, you know, embedded systems, specifically seatback systems, which is what most people refer to or think of when they refer to them as embedded um, they have significantly more longevity, in my view, than overhead IFE systems. Um, you know, if you look at it from what we're used to on the ground in this world of personal screens on our tablets and smartphones, why would any passenger be satisfied with watching a shared screen and having no control over the content that we're watching? You know, so that that's one aspect of the uh, of of the argument that you know. Um, the other is you know this alternative to embedded IFE. Streaming video content wirelessly to passenger PEDs is not as straightforward as many believe it to be. And it also doesn't allow all airlines to deliver the passenger experience that they wish to create on board their aircraft. Um, I would liken this to off-board internet connectivity. When this was first announced, you know, three, four years ago, it was going to kill IFE. It was going to be a, you know, a fantastic experience. You would be able to stream everything from the ground. It would be very reliable and it would make huge amounts of money for the airlines that had it installed. Mm. And as you know, how much <laughs> of that has come to fruition? You know, every day I just read an article on the New York Times today talking about the uh, you know poor experience of using, you know, using Wi-Fi on board. So the way I would look at it is I don't think the argument is actually embedded or non-embedded IFE. I think the solution going forward that's going to see an increase in market share will be one that is cheap, lightweight, reliable, delivers a great passenger experience, and in parallel will help the airline generate ancillary revenue. That may or may not be an embedded solution. It may or may not be wired. It may or may not be wireless. And, you know, 
just like the seats that we discussed at the start of the podcast, we're back to physics and economics again. You know, just making something wireless doesn't instantly mean it's going to work well. And it's also about the economics. You know, there's a lot of things you can do on an embedded screen in terms of third party advertising, the airline giving specific messages to their passengers that maybe you can't do wirelessly to a passenger PED rather long answer i've given but i think embedded ife um is going to be around for the foreseeable future for many of the world's airlines um I, I, interesting you you didn't mention this but uh but of course and i, I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate it hollywood uh, studios um still do not permit the streaming of early window movie content to passengers own devices and um you know, the airlines still love this early window content. They say that the most viewers are going there. Um, can you talk about EW, early window, and, 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 and whether you're hearing whether studios will relent and let these airlines stream early window movies to passengers' devices? Um, I mean, at the moment, we're not hearing any real noise that there's been any movement for the studios to lessen up on that requirement. You know, mm. So they still want to very much protect their um, DVD market. You know, so early window is, you know, it's coming out of the theater. It's not available on DVD. Yet. You can watch it on the plane. If that uh, if that content, you know, creeps out into the black market, destroys their DVD market, it's a big deal for the studios, which is why they are so persistent in protecting it. And as right, they should. I think the, the you know the bigger challenge is going to be the whole content ecosystem that that is going on on the ground, and you've got you know pressure from people like um, you know Netflix and Hulu and these wireless streaming and um, you know other providers making original content. Will non-early window content become that much more attractive and have that much more market share that the importance of early window diminishes? You know how will these other models work? I mean, I think the studios would have had to have changed their position uh, far more aggressively than they have hmm. had offboard internet connectivity done what it said it was going to do. If you could genuinely stream Netflix, for example, over a SATCOM link to an aircraft, we'd be having a different conversation. Right. Yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. <laughs> Isn't that day coming, do you think? No, I think internet on the aircraft is always going to be you know, a tenth of the experience that is on the ground. You know, if you just compare your, I don't know what TV internet services you have at home, but with Cox, I have 50 meg and we stream to the TV, you know, Netflix, and it isn't always a great experience. It regularly kind of goes down and you can't replicate that infrastructure and that bandwidth on the plane at a commercially viable price. Yeah. And, and passengers don't want to pay for internet. Yeah, I mean, there is a, a, every in-flight connectivity provider is uh, if they if they haven't realized it or admitted it in the past, they're doing so now. There is a finite amount of capacity to these uh, aircraft, and in fact, and this is just a recent story, uh, Panasonic Avionics, um, which uh, provides its KU band in-flight connectivity service to airlines, has started now. 
packaging that connectivity in megabyte packages. Now, um, because and they're citing bandwidth hogs. They're citing the the passengers on board. There's there's always at least you know uh, maybe half a dozen or maybe more passengers, um, depending on on the size of the aircraft and the length of the flight, that uh, want to use really heavy bandwidth functionality. And so now, you know, in addition to what they've done in the past, is kind of prohibit you know say for example you going onto YouTube or streaming video sites as GoGo does. Now they're saying you know what we're going to start packaging this into megabytes because you know because passengers are just uh, they expect the uh, on the ground experience in the air and the providers are realizing they just can't offer that globally uh, they just can't mm. it's the same issue that terrestrial internet service providers face and I don't it's not working out so well for them so I'm not so sure that in the <laughs> end it will work out so well in the air but you know that's just my opinion absolutely. Yeah. And I and I think, you know, I experienced it, um, you know, this week I flew on an airline who had a KA band service that was working and I thought, fantastic, I get to try this. This is supposed to be brilliant. I'm guaranteed 12 megabits per second to each passenger. I didn't do anything special. I wasn't doing any deliberately doing anything which was high bandwidth, but I was using my iPad, which is set up for when I'm at home. You know, it updates my apps, it updates my music and that kind of thing within. And so this is going on in the background. I didn't think to turn it off. And within five minutes, I get a message saying, we throttled back your internet because you're using too much. Ah. And it's like, huh? <laughs> and so is a passenger actually going to change, you know, go into their device and change all their preferences to say, I'm now on an aircraft. I must be very careful with my bandwidth oh my so word. I can use a service. I, I just think it's... Um, and I, I don't want to criticize any of the connectivity no. providers because it's an amazing facility when yes. it works. But uh, in terms of um, charging the customer and making money out of it, tricky. Uh, very much so. And of course, we have to manage those passenger expectations. <laughs> uh, those airlines, they really need to be really upfront now. You shouldn't be hit with a message like that midway through. You should know this going in. Um, and of course, uh, you know, these other providers as well, they're, they're all facing the same sort of issues. Um, so it's interesting to see how this is going to play out. But uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, John. You know, I think a few years ago when all of these uh, connectivity services were being uh, pitched to the market, uh, there was a, a, a thinking out there that you know true, uh, super fast. Uh, connectivity to the aircraft then would ultimately make uh, you know the need for embedded IFE null and void, and we just haven't seen that. In fact, uh, I understand there's as many as what 50 RFPs for for IFE out on the market right now. Oh, there's a there, there is a huge amount, and um, you know if you look at wide body deliveries, leaving Airbus and Boeing plant, more than 98% of those have embedded IFE. Wow. You know, and if you if you look at the single arm market, embedded IFE only accounts for about twenty to twenty two percent of the market at the moment for line fit, but it's increasing. You know, forty five percent of single aisles still leave the factory without any IFE. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of shifting that's gonna happen in the market, but I think embedded is far from being dead. And um I think what we will see though is seat back embedded with Wi-Fi supplementing the seatback IFE, you know, second screens, being able to do secondary activities on your, you know, on your passenger device. But whether it's really going to kill seatback, I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I don't see uh, the evidence of that in the marketplace. 
Interesting. Well, we're rapidly coming to a close. I'd like to thank our listeners. And remember, you can find us online at RunwayGirlNetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at RunwayGirl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We're having a lot of fun. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, eGate Solutions. And I'd like to thank John Norris for being our guest. John, where can listeners find you at? Thanks, Mary. Thank you, Max. Um, you can find Lamexis on Twitter at Lamexis underscore IFE. And you can find me on Twitter at John Norris Photog, all one word. So Ooh, Photog as in photography. All right. That sounds like the topic for another conversation, John. So. <laughs> That's his second life. <laughs> That's right. All right. So thanks again, John. And all of you listening, join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX podcast. Take care, everyone. Thank you.